revival. If you've seen the announcements, if you've seen the ads on Facebook, uh, you probably are already aware of that, that we're going to talk about revival. Uh, but we're going to talk a lot about why we're talking about it, what its importance is, what its role is, and more importantly, what our role is or is not in revival. We're going to look at history of revival. We're going to look at some cool movements that have previously swept through America as well as other nations. We're going to talk about biblical revival, where it is, where it isn't. Uh, we're going to talk cost, sacrifice. We're going to run the whole gamut in the next four-ish weeks. I say ish because I think it's going to be four, but it might be a couple more. So if you want to come in for one, pop out for a couple, come back again, each night will be different, different topics. They may or may not build on each other. I can't really tell you a whole lot of what to expect when it comes to that, because it's just going to be spirit-led, and it's us. So if you've been to one of our classes before, you know it kind of pings around a little bit. But I promise God's going to be here, and he's going to have a good time, because he already told us that. So you can count on that if you come back. So we're actually going to start tonight with worship and prayer. Um, and so I'm just going to invite us to stand. <sighs> And Jesus, I just want to thank you so much that we get to be together again. Lord, that we get to be here right now in your house, that we get to connect with you tonight, that we get to lock eyes with you, our God, our Savior, our lover. God, we thank you that you love us so purely and so perfectly, so abundantly. And God, man, I think I can speak for all of us when I say we need a, a big dose of that love today. We want to connect with you. We want to feel your love. We want to love you and lavish you with praise in return because you're so worthy, God. And so as we come in here tonight, Jesus, we just say that this is about you. This is not about us. This is not about any agenda. This is not about anything, God, but you. We want you to have full control, full sovereignty, full reign, full authority in this place. And so we just hand that over to you now, God, that you would completely have your way in our midst, that you would be glorified, that you would speak not just through angel or eye, but that you would use every person in this room to share through. God, that you, you your Holy Spirit is the same in each person in this room, and I know that we can learn from each other in this time. And so, God, we just ask you to be with us, to speak to us and to speak through us. God, that you would lead us into um, a deeper awe and respect and reverence of you, that we would see you more clearly, that we would come to love you more deeply, and that we would be transformed by the renewal of your word in us. So Lord, have your way tonight. Lead us into worship, Holy Spirit, and lead us into deeper understanding tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. box being opened and whatever was inside was kind of like a jack-in-the-box that like popped out and like those packing peanuts went everywhere and I was like that's pretty cool like who doesn't love presents and package and getting your mail and I so I was asking Jesus like what is that what does that mean and I felt like the Lord said that he was bringing back some original design and original purpose like things that were stored up in your heart that you thought got packed away and set aside for for a long time I feel like he's bringing it back to the surface. He's like calling your attention back to original design and maybe even in some transition, there will be some things that you once loved that you didn't have time for anymore that are gonna come back and it's gonna be Jesus and he's gonna show you and he's gonna be like, I got you boo. I got the thing that's gonna make you feel alive again. It's this, this is what I made you for. So I just 
bless that. <laughs> um, and Diane, I saw fresh prophecy drop over you, um, and I, it was it looked like a like a leaky faucet, just drip, 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 drip. And I felt like the Lord is just going to consistently drip fresh words in your spirit. Um, and I think there may also be some creative expressions that come through that. So just be prepared. There may be some more beautiful pieces that you may distribute. You started today? Thank you, Jesus. That's so cool. Yeah, God's going to do that. <laughs> That's so cool. And Bub, I got a word for you also. I saw a picture of a fresh flame flickering over your head. Like whenever you start the stove and you have to turn the pilot light on and it click, 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 and then it whooshes. So I felt like you're in this click, click, whoosh like season where the Lord is like freshly igniting fire in you. So places that have maybe felt weary. And, and, and worn down. He's whooshing back to life in you. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Woo! We're so excited. <laughs> I don't think I can contain it, folks. We are going to have such a good time with Jesus tonight. You ready? Okay. You got something? Go for it. Yeah, so I'm just going to jump in. Yeah. Okay. So we... I don't know how it came about that we're here, first of all. It's just the way Jesus works with us. We were just having a conversation, and we were talking about the concept of revival. And I said, I, th I think the problem with us Americans is we have a misconception of what revival entails and what it looks like, um, just like with the cross. Like we, um, I heard a sermon years ago that wrecked me. And it's the, the, the thought, we glorify the cross and we uh, Hollywood it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the cross, really, the, the walk of Jesus was a hard, horrific, shameful, I mean, everything that he walked through was this horrific place. And when we think of the cross, those are not the things that we think about. And I think we do the same thing with revival. We Hollywood revival. And so then what happens is we wait and wait and wait for something that God never intended it to be. And so we're waiting for something that may never happen because of our misconception of what revival is. Just like when God says to pick up your cross daily, we forget that, that that cost is costly to us, and it can be at times painful and uncomfortable. And I think we do the same thing with revival. And so I just, I get mad at our enemy because it's his way of robbing us of what God has intended for us. And so we were having that conversation, and I just said, we need to hold a class because we need to break down the lies and the misconceptions of revival so that we can actually walk out the revival that is already taking place in our lives. And so that is how we ended up here. Um, and she gets all excited and I have like mini panic attack. I'm like, what am I doing up here? This is ridiculous. Why is God calling me here? I don't belong up here. I shouldn't be up here. And she's like, I can't wait. I'm so excited. And I'm like, oh. So yeah, that's just a view into our personality differences that are vastly different. So, so I'm excited and scared at the same time because 
I, I realized in beginning when we said that, I went, oh, now I need to study it out because I can talk about it, but I don't have a theological background on it. So now I need to do some deep dive study in revival. And so that's where I've been the last few weeks just doing this intensive deep dive study on revival. So know that I'm learning on the job and God is speaking a lot to us and through us. And, and thank God we have people like Alan, who is a revivalist expert and he knows all the history stuff. So I'm excited for what he will be bringing to the table as we begin to talk about that. Because the more I've dove into this, the more excited I become about what Jesus is actually doing in our land. Like, it's amazing and mind-blowing the way that he works throughout history since the beginning of time. And it's just beautiful. It's fun when you get um, just a bird's eye view of his vision for our land, so. Yeah, and so one of the places that we wanted to start was by um, kind of taking a step back um, and understanding the season we're in. So maybe when you think, what's he, oh, we're in summer, duh, Katie, hello. <laughs> but I mean, a spiritual season. How many of you guys know that we live in spiritual seasons, that there's a time to sow, there's a time to reap, a time to celebrate, a time to mourn, there's a time to build up, a time to tear down. Ecclesiastes 3 gives us a great insight into the seasons of God spiritually. And those function um, differently in various seasons of life, like Jeannie could be in a season of celebration, Josh could be in a season of mourning, Shirley could be in a season of dancing, and Lynette could be in a season of rest. And what the Lord has for each of us in the season we're in may be very different. There will be times where nationally, globally, we're in a specific season, um, collectively, like an overarching theme of what God is trying to communicate to his bride. And then on a personal side, there will, there will be things that you're walking through that nobody else is, that you'll be in a certain season. So there is like a global season and a personal season. Um, and so we want to take a step back and acknowledge both of those seasons that we're in. And the reason that we want to do that, um, there's a quote by Finney, or, or maybe, I'm sorry, Macintosh, that says, it's necessary to understand the times that we live in in order to be able to recognize God's activity. Therefore, we can receive the flow of the Holy Spirit and thereby carry out his will. And so if we're able to recognize what season God has us in, we're able to see what God wants to do in us. Because if God has you in a season of rest and you don't realize it and you're functioning out of busy, busy, busy ministry, harvest, reap, sow, reap, sow, and God's like, excuse me, I'm trying to do something in you and you're totally missing the point. But then we're, we lack out on what God really wants in that moment. Right, So if we can understand the season, we can recognize God's activity in our life, and, and when we are aware of what he wants to do, we receive grace from God to do it. But if, if we reject what God wants for us to do, we reject the grace that enables us to do it. Right, And then that's why we begin to feel like we're striving. We feel like, why, is it, why does it feel like I'm, what was the phrase you used earlier, kicking goats? Kicking against the goats. It's a, it's a, a what? Goats. Goats. That's like whenever you mishear the lyrics to a song. <laughs> okay, kicking against the goads with a D. Um, it's a scriptural reference with Paul. Whenever Saul, oh, okay. whenever he was on the road to Damascus and got blind and fell off, Jesus said, it's hard to kick against the goads. Okay, thank you. So, <laughs> 
So if we don't receive God's grace that enables us to do what he calls us to, it's that. It's striving. It's we're kicking against a door that won't open and we get tired, weary, and we feel like things are futile. And so we want to understand the season so we can recognize God's activity. We receive the grace of God to do it. And then we carry out his will. We become obedient and we bear fruit. So it's, it's this like four-part natural flow of, of God's activity in our life. So we just thought it was really pivotal to start with what season are we in? What is going on globally? And, and through this, then we'll come to a place where you can acknowledge what God is doing in you personally. And so we'll do activation more towards the end about that. But um, with the current season we're in, do you want to go into that? Sure. Go for it. All right. So um, I, I think we can... Uh, Globally, there is a theme that's been going on, and actually, Carissa is the one that spoke it in Mexico for us. She brought this word about butterflies and cocoons and all of those things, and we, we just like, oh, that's a really good word, not understanding it. And I um, began to talk with people recently because we have been in a season of, I have no motivation to do anything in ministry, none. Obviously, I'm doing things in ministry because I know God's calling me to it. So I have to force myself to get there, right? But I, um, and I'm struggling with the day-to-day, and I feel like I know what I'm supposed to be headed towards, but I don't know how to get there in that time and season. And as I begin to talk with people, I keep hearing this word metamorphosis. And so we begin to study that out. And then Chris Volatin released a word this week about metamorphosis and what that means. And we just, we've realized that a lot of us are in the season. And I believe it's a global word of metamorphosis as a body of Christ. And um, Katie's going to bring that word up. So what happens is, um, there are, there, we are in a season of pruning. And we, we've talked about it like with COVID. I don't know about you, but I talked about my process through COVID when we were in isolation and shutdown. Like there was some ugly stuff coming out of me. Like there was some things that I thought I had dealt with that was not dealt with and it was resurfacing. And I'm like, what is this junk? And I, the Lord began to speak. He's like, there's things in you that has to be removed in order for you to flow in the places that I'm taking you. And if you don't deal with these things in your life, you'll never stand up underneath the call that I have for you in the next season. And so we begin to deal with those things. And it's been a long, hard season of pruning and fire. And I still believe that I am in this cocoon of transformation, not transition, a transformation of pruning in my life that God is still doing. So, yeah. So the word from Chris Valentin that he released this week was, um, he was in a quiet time with the Lord and he heard him say, you are not in transition. You are in metamorphosis. He goes on to say the immediate picture we all think of when we think of metamorphosis is the butterfly, a time when something ugly turns into something beautiful. However, between the caterpillar and a butterfly is a period where they gestate in a cocoon. I feel this is the season we are in. We are in the cocoon for a God-given purpose. He is making something beautiful. And I've heard a lot of different people refer to uh, this picture with, with different insights and different revelations, but um, one of the big ones that stuck with me, two of them, is one that 
in order for the caterpillar to become a butterfly, he has to leave behind the ways of being a caterpillar. And it's like when Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 13 about when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I talked like a child. But when I became a man, I thought like a man. I reasoned like a man. And so there, there comes a time where we have to leave certain things behind in order to move forward. And, and the second part of that, just deepening that concept, is is sometimes we look at that as a heavy cost. We look at that as, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to face that new thing because I know once I become a butterfly, I'll never be a caterpillar again. I'll never be able to go back. I'll, I'll never be the same. And so we can delay the process of going into the cocoon. We can delay the timing of it. And we were talking about it this morning, actually, with Carissa. And Carissa said she's actually raising butterflies right now. So it's even more apt that this was the word that she was sharing because it came from personal experience. But she was sharing how caterpillars, if they refuse to become a butterfly, they die because they weren't created to stay a caterpillar. Um, and so kind of putting that in a practical sense of like where we're at right now, I've heard numerous people say things like, well, I know I'm leaving the season I'm in and I know I'm going somewhere new, but I don't know where I'm going. I can't tell what God wants me to do. Maybe it's like job transition, not knowing what's next for you um, or in relationship or in life or in ministry. You're looking at it going I'm really confused about how to get from point A to point B. Or I, I know what point B is, and it's a mountain, it's a giant, and I am way too scared to face that right now because I know if I face it, I'm not going to be the same. Ooh, on that note, my friend had shared how when, uh, so David walked the same path of being the shepherd boy. He was the caterpillar. He went through metamorphosis. He became David the giant slayer, a.k.a. the butterfly. <laughs> and in that process, he, there was a cost. There was a fight that had to take place. And once he became David the, the giant slayer, he could never become the unseen shepherd boy again. He, he was from there on king, anointed, prepared, equipped on the way to the throne. He didn't get to go back to the unseen realm. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, and so how does that correlate with revival? Why is that important to know is because in order for revival to show up in your life, you have to know what you need to do for that to happen. You have to know what God is doing inside of your life, right? So that he can revive and bring revival to your life. And one of the things that I realized in this process is the things that he's calling me to scare the bejeebies out of me. And I would rather just not go there. But I know he's called me there, so I can't go back to where he has had me. I need to move forward. And when, um, some of you know my story, some of you don't, some of you are new, but in 2014, 13 and 14, I had a lot of recurring visions. And one of the visions I had was a generation rising up and slaying the giants in the land. And when I began to prepare for this, this um, class, the Lord brought back to me a part of the vision that I often don't talk about, and that is, he said, I will take this generation through fires that will seem difficult, and you're going to want to protect your children from walking through those fires, but in order for them to slay the giant, they have to walk through the difficulty of the fire that lies before them, so don't take them out 
of the trouble they're in. Let them walk through it so that they can face the giant on the other side. And I just really feel that it's necessary to start with, in order to have revival in your life, in order to see revival in a land, to see an awakening come to a nation, you have to be willing to be purified and walk through the fire. Um, and, And it breaks down the misconception of revival is an event that happens because it's not. A revival is not a four-day seminar that happens and revival breaks out. Revival is something, a seed that is dropped into your heart that, that begins to cultivate in your life. Yeah, and so we want to just jump into a couple of the preconceived notions that you may or may not have carried up to this point about what is revival and what isn't it. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you want to ask yeah. her? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So we're not going to point out you're wrong, but wh- what is revival to you? It means you have to talk. So Surprise, interactive <laughs> class. Wait, what do you think revival is to you? A change in your heart? That's good. An awakening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, what happens if they're all right? <laughs> A reawakening, revival. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. So she said a, a downpour of God's presence over us, of his mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. It's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? I would say it's something that like, you express outwardly without, um, without like, being self-conscious of it. Like, I don't care what other people think, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's good. Well, I don't have to tell any of you you're wrong. Y'all did great. <laughs> those, those are all really, really good answers. Um, and so A plus, A plus for doing your homework. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people carry misconceptions about it or even like growing up, our parents or grandparents may have taught us certain things about it or given us expectations that are unrealistic for it. Um, and so we just want to touch on some of those and make sure that we have the same kinds of expectations that are in line with what God is intending revival to be. So actually, I'm going to start with um, this, whole, this revive concept. So the cool thing about the word revival, um, you may or may not think it's cool. I think it's cool because I get a little nerdy about the Bible and things in the Bible. But the word revival is not actually in the Bible. Um, the word revive is, and to live again is in the Bible, but the word revival is not actually found in Scripture. Um, and so the Latin meaning of revival comes from revive, which uh, is revivre, or to live again, to return, or to restore something to consciousness of life. Um, it could be the restoration of something to its true nature and purpose, or it could additionally mean to reform, as in the profound change of social morals and doctrines. Um, and so the concept of revival assumes that a church that was once thriving has now fallen into a spiritual decline. Um, so revival may mean making alive again those who had previously been alive but have fallen into what is called a, a cold or dead state. And so revival is 
actually specifically for believers. Revival is not primarily for unbelievers because to make something alive again, it has to have once been alive. Um, conversion and salvation and awakening happen to unbelievers. Uh, they happen to those that need to come to life for the first time. And so the distinction um, between revival and awakening, uh, awaken is for those who are spiritually asleep or spiritually dead. And so they get woken up. Hello, wake up, wake up. Uh, to revive is, you know, to bring to life again. Does that make sense so far? Tracking with me? Okay. And so with revival being specifically for believers, um, like Angel said, it's not an event. It's oftentimes when we, at least for me growing up, when I would hear the word revival, it was usually followed by tent meeting. <laughs> and so it would be old-timey revival tent meetings. And I'd think, oh, cool, revival is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, come come get blessed kind of service. And I'd be like, woohoo, let's go to revival. Let's see the glory cloud, Christ. Uh, and that's that's what I thought it was. I was like, okay, that's it. It happens from seven to nine in a field somewhere. <laughs> but it's not that. It's not an evangelistic measure. It's not a meeting. It's not an event. Um, it is something else entirely. Yeah. And, and you can get seeds of revival from those places, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can be revived mm -hmm. in a meeting, but the revival takes place is when you take that seed and bring it home and cultivate the seed of revival, and we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, but did you have anything to add to that at all, or I just see your mind spinning, so I just want to make sure. I'm just, I'm just thinking about everything. Okay. I was just thinking, revival, one thing about revival is it always brings a deep transformation yes. mm -hmm. to a culture one way or another. Yes. Yeah, so if you couldn't hear me, said the one thing about revival is that it brings a deep transformation to a culture. Yeah, so another thing that rival, revival is not, um, revival is not mimicking old behaviors. It's not like, okay, if I follow steps A, B, and C, it will twist God's arm into blessing me. It will magically appear on my pillow, the grace and the manifestation of, po of prosperity for me. Like, it's not works-based. Revival isn't works-based. And revival is also not just for you. So while revival is predominantly experienced by the believer, it is not meant to remain within the believer. Mm -hmm. um, so one of my favorite quotes by Bill Johnson was he said once that favor in order to be maintained must be given away. And it's kind of like the, it's, it's a weird upside down spiritual principle that in order to grow in something or to maintain something, we must give it away. And we see that in like the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas, that, that the, the servants who would hide the talent or bury it to maintain it or to keep it for themselves end up being called cursed and wicked. But it was the ones who found ways to invest, found ways to give it away or to multiply it that were blessed and, and were commended for it. Mm -hmm. And so it is the same for us. In order to steward revival well, we can't keep it. We have to give it away. God doesn't put it in us in order to it just to buzz around inside of us and go, man, I feel good today. <laughs> How nice is this happy, jolly feeling I have? It wasn't meant for that. It was meant to give it away. And like Alan just touched on, it's meant to cultivate transformation around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bill Johnson actually says that revival, the purpose, God's purpose for revival is twofold. And it's so that salvation for souls, because what happens when, when you're on fire for God, when revival takes place in you, you can't help but share what God is doing 
your life. And then people are drawn to that. You know, when a new believer is transformed in their lives, they're telling everybody they know. Everybody that they party with now wants what they have because of the revival that took place in their heart. And this twofold is it transforms culture. The, the purpose of revival in you is that you transform the, your workplaces, that you transform your communities, that, that the culture around you changes because of your encounter with God. Yeah. Um, another fun thing that ri- revival is not is it's not something you get because you deserve it. And that one just like hit me so good because as we were like processing all this, we were thinking about who revival touches. Like in order for you to experience revival, you must be spiritually dead, spiritually broken, spiritually asleep. And so if you think about if you had a collection of spiritually dead or spiritually broken people, what kind of state are they in? What kind of language do they use? What kind of behaviors do they have? Mm -hmm. Probably not very good ones. If they're spiritually dead, they're not walking with Jesus. They're not loving the Lord. They're not walking in purity and holiness and cultivating light through them, right? And it reminded me of a a vision that... (laughs) I can't remember the guy's name. He was he was in the finger of God. He's bald and white, and he, <laughs> I'm sorry, but he had this. That's a lot of Americans. Um, he had this vision where he was praying for revival, and in his vision, God kept sending prostitutes and drug cartels and all these people into his church. And and he said in the vision, they were like fighting in the pews and having sex in the back seat. And he was like freaking out. He's like, God, why did you send me these people? I don't want them. They're awful. And God was like, who do you think needs saved? Who do you think needs revival? So that can also be one of our misconceptions is we think that revival comes to the squeaky clean Christian who definitely deserves it. (laughs) <laughs> we think, I have all my ducks in a row. I am perfect. Actually, that's probably some ripe spiritual pride, and that might be a little bit spiritually dead, so you might actually need it if you feel that way. I hope I didn't step on your toes. But if we think that God only blesses the spiritually clean instead of the dead, we're going to miss where he's moving. Like, for example, uh, I don't know if you all know this or not, our youth group is almost predominantly made up of foster kids right now. And foster kids, I don't know if you've worked with foster kids or been around them, they have some interesting behaviors and some colorful language. We'll put it that way to keep it polite. And it can be a challenge to love and have grace and patience and joy in the face of some craziness going on. But if we just like thought, God, why did you send me these? I wanted squeaky clean Christians, and I wanted to have a really nice cookie-cutter revival where everything was great and easy and perfect, and everything ran on time, and nothing went any way I didn't want it to. It would never happen, because the ones that need it aren't that. We aren't even that. That would be crazy to even think that we have it all together, let alone the ones who God truly wants to transform. And so we have to begin to like shift our thinking and realize that that messy, smelly, homeless person on the corner is ripe for the picking. They're exactly who Jesus wants to love on that day. That really mouthy kid that has a crazy broken family is the one he wants to love on. And so we have to kind of shift our... uh, our, our target, if you will, the lens that we're looking for. Because we can think, well, I just want the easy one. Just give me the easy one, God. The one who just has been a Christian their whole life. Mm-hmm. 
or, or if we think that revival comes if I work hard enough or strive hard enough, it's never going to come to us. Yeah. Because it, it's not about the do's or mm -hmm. the don'ts. It's all about relationship, and, and revival flows from that place. Mm -hmm. It's not about how much time you spend. It's not per se A, B, C, D, E. You know, you do these things and revival's sure to show up. Those, mm -hmm. That's not what brings revival in at all, actually. Mm -hmm. And man, when we were praying, just before we walked out here, Jesus said the coolest thing, and I like freaked out. I was like, Angel, did you hear that? I've never heard him say that before. But okay, so we were praying about, about, about revival, and I, I was asking him like what his perspective of revival really truly was. Like, because we're talking about these preconceived notions, these things we think about it. Obviously, we don't want to stay stuck in what we think about revival. We want to know how God truly feels about it. So I was like, Jesus, what do you say about revival? And he said um, that it wasn't only about us, that revival is also mainly about his heart. He wants our, our love. And so if revival is in that first song, I think it was, she kept saying, returning to love, returning to love. And if you think of um, the church of Ephesus, I think it was, in the book of Revelations, the sin against them was that they departed from their first love. And Jesus said, I think it's in Revelations 3, he says, return to your first love. He calls them back. And if you just picture the burning heart of God saying that, not not a strict father, not an authoritarian, not an abusive king, but a kind and good and loving father that desires you. Saying that, like, I want you back. And I felt like Jesus was like, that's my heart of revival, is that he looks out over the land and he sees his kids far from him. He sees his kids in pain, in loss, in apathy, in depression, in suicide, in all these things, addictions. And he says, man, I just want them back. I want my kids. And if that was actually our heart in returning to him was, I just need my daddy. I just need a hug from the father. I just need my friend. I just need my savior that we just want to be with him. We just want to lock eyes with him. That changes the whole perspective that it's not, it's not steps. It's, it's not an event. You don't go to check it off. It's not a goody two-shoe thing. It's, it's, a, it's a love experience. It's a love encounter. It is seeing Jesus. And how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, um, one of the things that I read this past week said that statistics show we are most hungry for revival when we are first saved. And he goes on to say, but the Lord never intended for our first year with him to be our peak time with him. And so often that's what happens in relationship with Jesus, that mm -hmm. that first year of salvation tends to be our peak and that should just be the starting point of the best years to come with him. And Bill Johnson says that revival is basically the heart of God made manifest. And God is love. And I too, that's what I wrote down in my notes yeah. during worship is that, that revival is really just getting back to the love and the heart of God for love. Yeah. And so if we first come and encounter his love, what does the Bible say about Christians and how they should know us? They should know us by our love, right? 
That is that should be our core attribute. And if we're spiritually dead or we're tired or weary, and there's no shame or condemnation for that here. Like you, that's okay if that's where you're at. We don't want to leave you there. We'll we'll get you back to Jesus and in love again. But you know, if that's where we're at, he wants us to connect, reconnect and be deeply in love with him. So that way, when we walk out of here and we go to sheets, the car next to us gets blasted with this beam of love pouring out of our eyes. And they look at you and they go, wow, there's something in your eyes. What's that? I just recently had someone do that to me. And I was like, oh, ah, (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But like, that should be how it is. We should encounter his love, be overflowing with it, and pour it out. And it can be hard to get there. And we know that it's hard to keep. It's hard to maintain. Life comes knocking. Things get boring. It gets mundane. It can be really difficult to maintain and steward revival for long periods of time. And there are seasons where there is an enabling grace for an outpouring of God's spirit to manifest in specific ways. But it's important for us not to measure revival with gifts or miracles. Mm-hmm. Ooh, there's a really good quote by Finney in here. Um, give me one second. He says, revival is not a miracle or dependent on the miraculous in any sense. It is a purely logical result of the correct use of your existing resources with God. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that a cool word? Like, it's not, it's not entirely that revival is this big mystical gold dust that falls out of the sky and goes, oh. And we go, wow, you visited us. I'm so glad. And then he goes back up and he's like, in 500 more years, you'll see another revival. But really, it's we can cultivate revival any day, any time, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Mm-hmm. He is not an external God anymore. He is a very internal, very personal God. And so the God that we currently have, we get to experience revival, which is a returning to love, a reviving of our spirit, a fresh awakening, a fresh fire in us. We can have that as often as we turn to him. Now, each, each season you're in, it may look different. In a restful season, your awakened, revived spirit may look more reserved and at peace and content. In a morning season, you can still be fully revived by the spirit of Christ and still experience deep emotional grief. That Those don't have to be mutually excuse, exclusive. We can experience the fullness of life and emotion in every season we go through while still being perfectly revived. Jesus was the example of that. He never lost connection or the heart connection of love with his father. Even though he experienced shame and grief and pain and loss and great joy and victory and celebration and camaraderie, he experienced the fullness of life unhindered. And yet it wasn't mutually exclusive from revival. And so he modeled a way for us to do it. That the radical things that Jesus did should be the perfectly normal Christian life. And it comes from this, this true connection of love with the Father's heart. If we come to that place and reside in it. Yeah, so like I said at the beginning is I haven't wanted to do ministry. I, I've really struggled moving forward. I know where I'm headed. I know what lies ahead and the things I'm supposed to be doing to prepare. But one of the greatest things, testament is of growth is even in this season, I still have an incredible relationship with Jesus. I'm still, my, my devotion time looks different, but I'm still doing the things that keep me connected to him. I don't hear him as clearly as I have in other seasons, 
but I know he's there and I know he's speaking and I know that he's transforming me. You know, it, it's maintaining connection with him. It's the maintaining of intimacy with him, regardless of how hard it is to get there. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean I don't do it. I do it because I don't want to miss a moment with him. So I'll do whatever I need to do to have intimacy with him and I'll do whatever it takes to get there. And, and in ministry, it's so easy to do ministry without the intimacy part. And we get so caught up in busyness that we lose focus of the most important thing, and that is relationship with Jesus Christ. And so then we begin to strive in ministry, and that is in the striving that we begin to burn out in ministry. It, it's, it's relationship. It's, it's, the, it's the constant connection with the heart of a father for you and your heart towards him. It's a love response. It's a love relationship. So how y'all doing? We're kind of like water hosing you a little bit, and it's a little all over the place, but y'all hanging in there? We doing good so far? Okay, cool. So one of the things that I want to touch on is why we don't keep revival, like what happens that, it's, that it fades from our life. And now this is not going to be an exhaustive list. I'm sure we could all come up with some reason that we have personally experienced a cooling off period with Jesus, um, but we're going to hit on a few of them. Um, and so one of the first ones is that we don't steward it well. Um, and, and that goes back to the one of the things I said earlier about in order to maintain or steward something, we have to give it away. We have to, so, oh, a good example of this is with money. My mom has a crazy amounts of testimonies. She's the cute girl in the blue hat and blue shirt back there. So if you ever want to hear testimonies to raise your faith on money, ask her about it because she's got some astronomical ones. But an example of, of this favor principle with money is like when God blesses her with money, her first question is, God, how do you want to use it? Because if God, sometimes we think if God gave it to me, it's mine. <laughs> it, I'm running with it. I'm running before he takes it away. And first of all, that's rooted in some very bad theology. <laughs> but second of all, if he's given us something, we are the steward, not the owner. He is still the owner, even though it's in our possession and in our care. And so we should check in with him. Lord, what do you want to do with this? You know, if, you've, if he's given you a house, a job, children, a wife, husband, etc., it's important to check in with him. How should I steward this? What should I do with this? Um, and so when he, when he pours out, for example, money, she will often say, God, how do you want to use this? And he'll say, you know, tithe. And then he'll say, I need you to give this to so-and-so. And, oh, I want you to go by and pick up groceries for this person. Or I want you to X, Y, or Z. And when she does it, it's like she turns around and less than a week later, another several hundred dollars just magically appears. Not magically, it's Jesus. But, and we go, what? Okay, wait, we gave it all away again. And it seems like we have none again, but yet there's more. And God is the great and good, good father that it is always, but wait, there's more. Mm -hmm. He is the one that does that. And so with revival, when you experience fresh, fresh love in your spirit, you have to give it away. You have to look for the hurting, the wounded, the lonely, the lost, the outcast, the forgotten, and, and, and give them love. If you've been loved, and I think in Corinthians, Paul says comfort with the same comfort that you have been comforted with. That's how the comfort keeps coming. That's how the favor keeps coming. How the revival keeps pouring out is we continually become a vessel that pours it out. Yeah, so um, with revival, we have all had experience of revival. I guarantee you everybody sitting in this room has been revived with revival at some point in time in your life, right? 
nod your head if you agree, right? Like, we have all been to a conference where we've came back transformed, right? Because revival is changing the way that you are. It changes the way that you live life when you have that encounter. And so um, Bill Johnson calls them seeds of revival. So what happens is you've been given a change. Um, a seed was planted in your heart that you are then to cultivate and grow from that changes your life. You know, so when I would go to a conference, I would have these radical encounters with God, just these crazy things. You did morning worship for a long time with a group of young adults that radically changed the way you would live your right life, right? Richard, like it changed you forever, you know? And so we are responsible to cultivate that change that came in, in those places of revival and to grow upon. So you can have many revival encounters where you are changed and transformed more in the image of God. And so it is our responsibility to take what we've been given in those moments and cultivate them, give them away, share them with others. That's where testimonies come in and grow from that place forward. You know, we shouldn't be growing backwards. You know, we're always longing for what we had back here. Our experiences in times with God should be growing upon growing upon growing. It shouldn't go backwards. We should be moving forward. And so cultivating that seed in revival is so important. I think I have another analogy. How many of y'all have ever grown a plant? Did you ever grow something before? Okay, most of y'all maybe grown something, maybe killed something. <laughs> well, Okay, so I've been gardening for about two years now. I'm no expert at it. I definitely know all the ways not to do it right. But one thing I have recognized with growing things that bear fruit is that if you don't pluck the fruit, it will rot on the vine. And fruit was never meant to rot on the vine. And you won't get more unless you pull it off. I don't know how the plant knows whether it's been plucked off or not, but it knows. If you don't pull, like, my beans or peas, if I don't pull the peas off the vine, I don't get new ones. Those ones get scorched by the sun, they die, and then the plant gets mad at me and goes, well, you didn't even like what I gave you, so why should I give you more? <laughs> and so if you want to think about that in, in a sense of, God doesn't say that, by the way. <laughs> oh, you don't like my gifts? I'm not giving you. He's not petty. He don't do that. But if you think about it in that sense that when we remove things from the vine, more come. They follow it. There's this multiplication that happens. And the fruit is truly meant to be eaten. Like those peas, they were grown to be eaten and to nourish me. And if I have, if I plant well and wisely and in correct time, in due season, if I understand my season, then I harvest in abundance and I'm able to give those away and then they can nourish others who need it. That's, that's what this is. Okay, so another reason that um, we may not keep revival, this might be a little ouchy, so I'm sorry, but we, we despise small beginnings or we're constantly looking for the new next thing. And so if we struggle with comparison or the grass is always greener, we'll encounter something, but we'll see what someone else got and say, I want that. And when we don't actually thank God for what he gave us or, or we don't use it, revel in it, steward it, it disappears. Mm -hmm. and, and if we think, well, it was just one prophetic word I got, and that's not really a big deal, and that doesn't really matter, and no one's going to listen, and... Me, me, me. Well, we're never going to grow in that prophetic gift if, if we don't 
I don't know, cherish that small beginning. Like, I think it's Zechariah who says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Mm -hmm. Everything has to start small. And so we have to be okay with not being an expert at hearing God's voice or not being an expert at praying for someone or praying out loud. We have to be okay with looking foolish or silly or um, like Andrew pointed out, it has to be something that, that we don't care what other people think we look like. We have to be willing to lift our hand in worship if that's what Jesus says and, and pulls you to do or, or if he pulls you to give money away to someone. If, if we're afraid of being foolish and we despise that small thing that he's asked of us, then he, he's going to wait till we're ready to be faithful. It's the whole thing of, um, I'll bring it back, Lord. Mm -hmm. The small beginnings. Oh, it's the, the whole, when you compare yourself, if, if my dad is being slain in the spirit and I'm not in a service and I'm looking at him going, well, I want that. Why didn't I get that? I'll never recognize what God is doing here. God is an individual God. He meets and revives us in different ways and places. And we need to stop saying, well, I wished I had it this way, or I wished it would look like this, and start recognizing exactly what God is doing in your life. Because comparison, regardless of the way that you're comparing, it's okay to long and want more of God. It's okay to say, you know what? I want more. I, I love this beginning, and I love what you're doing in my life, but I want more, God. That's okay. But when you say, well, God, why didn't you meet me the way that you met Ernie? Why didn't you show up to me the way that you showed up to him? Why am I... You're, you're, dis, you're, dis, you're throwing away what God has given you instead of being thankful for the way that he has showed up in your life. You know, it's don't, don't compare the way God meets you and revives you. And don't be so frustrated that he's not showing up the way that you want him to show up that you miss the way that he's showing up because he grows from there. Yeah, like scripture refers to a holy jealousy or a holy covetousness. And that, that is exactly what she just said about wanting more of God, desiring more of him in our life and crying out for it. Um, but yeah, just, just to echo that, y'all are perfect the way you are in Christ. And he made you unique. He made you to hear his voice in a way that is vastly different than each person in this room. And the psychology is finding out more and more that everyone thinks different. Some people have an internal dialogue. And for them, God speaks to them maybe audibly or through that internal dialogue. Some are more visual. Like, that's just literally how their brains are made to function. And therefore, God speaks visually to that person. And he's made us all so unique. And the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that we need each other. Mm -hmm. We need each other to be complete. And if there were two, um, two heads on one body, that would be pretty freaky. And so we don't want to do that. We want to be exactly who God made us to be and to be um, joyful in that uniqueness. So y'all are perfect, okay? In Jesus Christ, in the body, y'all are just who you're made to be. Okay, next one. Um, another big one of why we don't keep revival is fear of persecution or fear of man. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Tell you a quick story? Okay, so... Um, back when we were doing morning worship, it was a small group of us that started it um, around 6 a.m. We, we started meeting every single day to, to worship the Lord. And it really came out of this place where we had seen 
a documentary called The Finger of God. If you haven't seen it, um, shameless plug, go watch it. It's incredible. But in the film, it showed footage from the underground church. And we were just literally so convicted that the underground church is willing to meet at 4 a.m. in a cave to worship Jesus, even though they might be killed on the spot. We were like, man, we don't even take advantage of the fact that we could be worshiping the Lord publicly, freely, anywhere we go at any time. We've totally taken advantage of that. So we started meeting regularly, and a lot of crazy, cool things were breaking out in that. I mean, I mean, we were insanely transformed. Um, we, we experienced growth and maturity and gifts and miracles. And I mean, the gifts and miracles were literally just like kisses from heaven. It, it, it wasn't, I don't know, some people can glorify the miracles more than they glorify the miracle maker. And so I don't want you to, to hear that more than the other parts. But so lots of cool stuff was happening. And I remember out of that place, um, one of the things that the Lord spoke to me was that Roman, Romans 12, that I was supposed to live transformed and not to be conformed to the ways of the world, but that for me it was going to look different. To be a living sacrifice, it was going to look peculiar to the religious church I grew up in. And when I was praying, I got this picture of me with bright pink hair and nose rings and tattoos. And I was like, whoo, that's the devil. <laughs> and I was like, Lord, I won't do that. I'm going to be good. <laughs> I was like, I promise, Jesus, that's not me. And, but the picture kept coming back with the same message over and over. And everywhere I went, I was seeing Romans 12. And I was hearing it preached on the radio. And at every church service I went to, it was Romans 12, be a living sacrifice. Don't be afraid of the fear of man or persecution and all this stuff. And I thought, Jesus, are you trying to say something? Are you trying to tell me I need to dye my hair pink? Are you telling me I have to pierce my nose? And it was about a two-year wrestle through that whole thing. And if you want to get into the theology of it, you can ask me about that later. But long story short, little by little, I began to obey that. And I dyed my hair bright pink, and I got my nose pierced, and I got my first tattoo, and, and it was a wild journey. And I remember the first time I was asked to preach at a church, it was this tiny little one in the, in the back country, I don't know, like a half hour from here. And I showed up, and my mom went with me. And when we walked in, um, I don't know, the pastor and his wife walked up to us. They, look, they, they looked me up and down, and they looked at my mom, and they said, thank you for bringing your daughter here. She really needs it. <laughs> and my mom went, she's the preacher. <laughs> and they went, and they, were like, they like looked, and they, they were like, we need to confer. Because <laughs> they thought like a heathen just rolled up to preach like Satanism to them. And it was hilarious. So many people would not make eye contact with me. Many of them, like, like turned and, like, full turn. And I was like, okay, Lord, well, you asked me to do this. This is on you, big boy. <laughs> You're going to have to carry this one. And so I preached, and it, we had a great time, the Lord and I. It was awesome. And afterwards... Um, we had this just real cool presence of the Lord fell in the room. And I actually preached all about love. I preached about um, just his heart. And when I finished, a, one of the guys, he came up to me with like tears in his eyes and he apologized. And he's like, I judged you really harshly. I thought you were a sinner for sure. <laughs> and I was like, it's okay, bud. It's all right, you know. But it happens that when God calls you to do something because of his love, like, I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons why he asked me to do that. It wasn't just to be weird. I I'll tell you the story some other time. It wasn't just to be weird. 
there was a reason for it. And so when God asks you to do something that culturally looks weird or um, counterintuitive, there's probably a reason for it. And it's going to ruffle feathers because if you don't know by now, Jesus really likes to do that. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to prove a point that he needs proven. It's going to reveal his heart in a really magnificent way. But if we have a fear of man, if we have persecution or fear of persecution, it will hinder us from walking out and obeying what God calls us to do. Like if, if, that, would, if that encounter would have happened right then I, and I had fear of man as a stronghold in my life, I would have been like, no way I'm doing this, mom. You're preaching. <laughs> you go. <laughs> you know, I would have given up on the spot. I would have trembled in my boots or left even. And God wouldn't have been glorified that day. He wouldn't have had his way. And so we have to come to a reckoning. We have to die to ourselves. We have to be willing to be made a fool on account of Christ. We have to be willing to be made fun of or rejected or excluded because we choose to live differently, because we choose to live a pure and holy and blameless, set-apart life. It's going to cost us. Yeah, um, it, it's, you know that revival has broken out in your heart when God is the most important thing and you don't care about anything else. Like... Um, they talk about how you know that revival is broken out in a church when the pastor gets there and there's already couples there who are disheveled, their hair's not done, they don't have makeup on, their clothes are wrinkled because they just want more of God and none of that stuff matters. And, and it's the place that God wants to get all of us is that he is the most important thing in our lives, that nothing else matters, that that we're so hungry and thirsty for him that we neglect the things of this world. It's not that we neglect necessity or working or those things. It's we, we neglect the things of this world. It just doesn't even matter anymore. He's what matters. Yeah. Um, we have two more things that keep us from revival that will hit. Um, so the next one is, uh, <laughs> how do I word this? Um, so when she talked about, like, you go to a conference and you receive this, like, whoo, fire encounter, and you come home and you go to church and you think, it's going to be lit this week. Like, they're going to have, like, fire worship. The preaching's going to be, like, awesome. And you get there and, like, maybe it's an acoustic set and acoustic's not your jam and there's a guest speaker and you're like, man, I don't, I really was counting on the preacher being here. And you kind of, like, flash back to real life and you go, this isn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be. So sometimes revival isn't as exciting as we think it's going to be. Like, what if your revival Tuesday looks like waking up and having a cup of coffee, listening to the birds, and you just sit peacefully, contentedly, and no one gets healed, and no one gets slain, and it's just you and Jesus having an encounter? Is that enough? Sometimes we think it's not enough and we get bored or, we, or then we have to go to work and we think, why can't I just quit my job and like move to Africa? Why can't I live that exciting God life? And God's like, but what if the life I made for you where you work here and provide for your family is the exciting life I've created you for? Mm -hmm. What if being a stay-at-home mom is the exciting life I created you for? Mm -hmm. And what if he created you to find revival in those moments? Mm -hmm. Can that be enough? Sometimes that's why we lose grip with revival because it becomes so mundane almost. Mm -hmm. And we think, if I had a different life, then God would show up. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. God wants to show up and show off in your current life. Mm 
Yeah, it's the whole purpose of revival for you is so that you awaken those around you. And, and if work is mundane for you and all you want is those conference experiences, then you're just looking for the next conference to go to and you're not caring about the people around you and the life around you. It's, it's sometimes revival is quiet. Sometimes it's just you and him. Nobody else is around. Oftentimes, that's the way revival ends up happening. And so it, we can't have a preconceived idea of what revival should look like. And mundane, sometimes in the mundane is where revival takes place. But if you discount that, you're, you're going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually want to kind of speak to this concept, because I, I picture in my mind, I know some people that do this, and I don't think any of y'all are this kind of person, but I know, I know at times people can be conference chasers, like uh, spiritual high chasers, where they just go conference to conference, and they're looking for gifts and miracles, but they're not at all developing an inward change with the Lord. They're not experiencing transformation of character, of self, and so they're really just going to see, like, the glory reel, right? And, like, I want to clarify that there is no super Christian and subpar Christian. There are just Christians. God doesn't divvy us up into, okay, these are my superstar Christians who are priests and pastors and missionaries and saints. And, okay, and these are my subpar Christians who have to go to work nine to five. And they have to provide for their family. And they have to be a mom or a stay-at-home dad. Um, God doesn't divvy us that way. He doesn't go, okay, well, these ones are real Christians. They love me so much. They gave up everything. It's not that at all. It's just Christian. And sometimes we can think that it's not that way. And so I just wanna, I just wanna speak like a, some comfort to that, that if you have a job, if you are a mom or a stay-at-home dad, like you are where you're meant to be. Like God has a beautiful and crazy beautiful plan for that. Like if you can imagine a society where we had only godly lawyers who never lied. If we had a godly society where there were only politicians who feared God, if we had pharmaceutical companies and doctors who prayed before every transaction and surgery, before they ever laid a knife on you, if we had a society of businessmen who cared truly about ethical service, can you imagine a world without slavery, a world without, a world without corruption, a world without poverty, or teachers. If you imagined a world where teachers were only godly and only taught, taught children with integrity and care and compassion, what kind of world we would live in? And that world we can have, but we can only have it if you, my lovely Christian friend, go to work. <laughs> If we all quit our jobs and we all became missionaries and priests and kumbaya communes, like we would live in a very strange world where no service or help would actually be provided to anybody ever. And so we have to do those things that God called us to do, whether it's business or medicine or technology or language or teaching or mothering or fathering, whatever God's put in your lap, you need to do it right. You need to do it well for the Lord because that's how we change society. That's how we truly transform the world. Amen? Isn't that cool? You guys are powerful people. You have like the real true ability to influence every single person around you every single day for good. That's so powerful. 
harness it, girl, guy. You got this. Like, we can really actually, we can have an incredible godly society. Okay. And the last one is, I just added this while we were talking, is saying yes to the wrong things. We can hamper a move of God by getting distracted. We can hamper a move of God um, by turning to ourselves um, rather than praying about a decision, saying, I know what I want. I know what's right. We can very quickly take ourselves out of the flow or the activity of God by um, saying yes to the wrong things. Earlier when Angel and I were talking about the flow of God and the activity of God, um, she defined it as, um, oh, how did you define it? Of, of what you say yes to and what you say no to, right? And so what we say yes to and what we say no to matters. Like in, in, in the word, it tells us that let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, that, that's specifically with covenants and contracts and agreements and things, but there's this sense of integrity um, that what we say yes or no to is our word. It's, it's our character. It's our actions. It's more than just a word. Um, and so if we say yes to the wrong things, if we... Um, can't even give an example. But if we say yes to the wrong things that God isn't asking us to say yes to, it could lead to busyness. It could lead to striving. It could lead to disappointment and discouragement and a, and a crushed spirit or a deferred hope. Um, and, and that is going to hamper the revival that God wants to do in us because we're no longer moving with him. We're, we're being more independent from him. And so we, we want to maintain that connection with him. And um, that connection comes from checking in with him. And um, I kind of like to call it a permission-based lifestyle. I really like living a permission-based lifestyle. So that way, if someone challenges me, I can say, well, God told me to. <laughs> you know, or I have that comfort in my heart when, when someone pushes back and says, you know, you look stupid or you're dumb or don't do that. Why would you do that? Why would you live that way? I can have comfort and peace and acceptance in my heart where their rejection doesn't matter because the Lord's already spoken to me what to do. And so we, we can have that. We can walk in that and, and maintain revival as we walk in these ways. That's a good example. You guys have any questions? How you doing? You okay? <laughs> no one's walked out on us yet. Praise the Lord. Um, hmm. Jesus, what do you want to say? So I'm going to give you some insight on what you can look forward to in the next couple of weeks, some things that we're going to talk about. Um, so tonight we covered the prophetic season we're in, um, the visions and metamorphosis. Uh, we talked about revival, what it is and what it isn't. And next week we're going to talk a little bit about um, the underpinnings and the core values of a revival. So we're going to talk about um, the state 
a city or a people or a culture are in prior to revival. Um, we're going to talk about some real revivals that really happen. Hint, Alan. <laughs> and uh, he's going to share, if he would be so willing, to next week <laughs> about some revival information. Um, and we're going to look at just a couple places. If not, we've got some, so we'll talk about it anyways. But um, we're going to talk about the state it's in before, about some real revivals that came, some of the themes that you can see that pass through revival. There are some very common things that happen in a lot of revivals. Like when, when we talk about the ways of God, the ways of God are connected to the character of God, and the character of God is unchanging. Um, and so his ways may change a little bit, um, but his character doesn't. And so it, often you can see themes pass through the revivals, even if weird stuff happened, like I don't know. What's that one guy that used to throw babies and they would come back to life? <laughs> it was crazy. Smith Wigglesworth. He did some astronomically weird stuff that you don't see really repeated through history. <laughs> but it worked and God was in it. So thank you, Jesus. But so like that being said, there will be some peculiar things and there will be some th thematic things that we're going to look at. Um, we're going to talk about... Um, a little bit of the theology between are we responsible for revival or um, does God drop in and bring revival? Um, we're we're going to talk a little bit about that because it, it changes our role and our perspective on how we interact with God in revival. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about biblical revivals, um, specifically with Israel. Um, while revival isn't in the Bible, revive is like hundreds of times. And so we'll kind of go through some of those cool words. There's like 11 or 12 Hebrew words for revive. And I just started looking them up before we started class. And I was already like, oh, this is so juicy. So we're going we're gonna to have one of those dorky, nerdy, aka my favorite kind of classes, where we examine original language in, in the biblical text to find out what God is trying to say through his word. Um, and yeah. We'll talk about the controversy that took place in mm -hmm. revival as well as it swept. Like, yeah. yeah. The cost. The cost. Um, the not so fun part, you know, talking about how do we contend for revival and what to do when God tarries and how do we tarry well with the Lord? Mm. Um, you could actually ask Terry, where did Terry go? Because <laughs> uh, she tarries very well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> um, and also talking about dying to self, because that's crazy. We're also going to talk about our personal experiences with revival, and we also encourage you to come and share your story if you would um, be so inclined to share it or a testimony of a time when God's revived you. Come with questions. Come with hunger. Um, spiritual hunger, we may or may not feed you. <laughs> so, uh, But we want to have a good time with you guys. So. Can I just add one yeah, last thing? I, I just, what Angel said earlier, I think is one of the most key things that, I just think people should be thinking of throughout all of these classes is where she talked about how you can't earn revival, you can't earn that in your life, that uh, revival is actually based on the grace of God. And if you don't understand that, that, should, that can actually hinder revival coming into your life. Because it, a lot of people fall away from the church or they fall away from their belief in God because they see these revivals happen in history and the humanity of the people that lead that led them come out and people leave the church because they say, well, if that guy messed up, then there's no hope for us or God isn't real or whatever. And 
I'm sure we'll talk about these things, but if you look at every revival, like the ones that we know of, like Azusa Street, there was so much racism and infighting that was happening among the leaders in this, this huge revival. The Welsh revival, Evan Roberts leader, dealt with extreme depression and suicidal thoughts and all that stuff. Uh, the Korean revival had extreme racism between among the missionaries and the Koreans themselves. And you can go through all these, and they all were very human, very messed up people, but they understood the grace of God, and that's why revival was able to flow through them. So I just, I just want to say that that's it's really that is such a good word. Um, and because what man uses to disqualify us, God uses to qualify us. And so where we see our sin and brokenness and our inabilities and our inexperience, God says, man, that's the one I want. And the reason for that is because the world isn't going to pay attention if Mr. Know-it-all is the one who tells you it all. Because you kind of roll your eyes and go, well, how can I relate? Of course, you know it. You're perfect. But when he takes 12 fishermen who are from various crazy parts of the world and he changes the world and turns it upside down through them, everyone notices. And so revival can most definitely happen through every single one of you, regardless of your story, your brokenness, your past, your history. Yeah. Did you have something you want to add? God showed me this last week, uh, my personal prayer, and I wasn't sure if I was supposed to share it Sunday, and I held on to it, so I think I'm supposed to share it here. You know, on Sundays, we share our vision statement as a church, which is to be a place where, we, where people find hope, healing, purpose in Jesus Christ. And what God showed me in my prayer time was we're that place. You know, oftentimes we think it's the church we're supposed to bring people to so they can find God, but we're that, we're that place that people find hope, healing, and purpose. So if we're revived, if we're carrying that seed with us, that's what they're tapping into. They're tapping into that hope, that healing in Jesus Christ that we're representing. And so really we're taking revival to the streets everywhere we go, and it's contagious. So I just wanted to share that. Okay, so I think that about wraps us up, unless you have anything to add. You want to do activation? Uh, oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> I get wrapped up in the beginning and the middle, and sometimes I forget about the ending. Um, who wants some activation in some of this? Do you want to you take some practicality out of it and step forth into your world with, I don't know, some readiness? Say I. That was weak, but that's okay. We'll take it. So I'll, I'll take it. Um, so one of the, the activation we want to do tonight is um, regarding finding the activity of God in your own life. So at the, at the start, we talked about what season we're in globally, um, and we wanted to help you understand the season you're in personally. Um, so briefly to explain um, the season you're in personally. Um, so the season that you're in, uh, how do I explain this? So you may discern the season that you're in based on the events surrounding you in the natural, based on the messages that are thematically around you, based on the emotions you're experiencing regularly, um, whether you are like 
man, this is not me, this is not normal for me, or, ah, this is just normal. Um, but if you're a feeler, if you um, are a more, uh, what's it called, an HSP, like a highly sensitive and perceiving person, you may be picking up on things around you and other people's emotions and um, just a very sensitive and intuitive person to those around you. You may be picking up emotions that will help lead you to understand the season you're in or the season that your collective group is in. Um, and so some of the ways that you begin to discern that, obviously, number one, is going to be through prayer. Um, and it's through asking others to pray for you, getting wise counsel to surround you. Um, sometimes I'll just sit with the Lord and, and I'll ask him, um, you know, what he's speaking over me. I'll ask him for a word, just a simple word or a Bible verse to define what he wants to do in this season. Um, and sometimes when he gives you that word, I, when he gives me that word, at least, I can either acknowledge, okay, I'm lining up really well with what God wants to do right now, or I'll go, whew, that's why it's so hard. I'm totally out of season. You know, if God gives me a word like uh, Hebrews 4, and it's all about sabbatical and rest, and I'm like, wow, I've been the busiest I've ever been this week. No wonder I feel like I'm striving and weary. Then I can go, okay, I'm out of season. I just need to kind of rein in, reel back, and, and get back with the Lord. Um, so you, you can ask him for a Bible verse. You can ask him for a, a message or a word. Um, you'll also see he kind of, he speaks sometimes in, um, let me think where it's at. I think it's Psalm 29. It talks about how the Lord speaks through rivers or many waters. Um, and uh, prophetically, that's understood as in many avenues, like rushing waters, like the sound of, of rushing waters where it feels like it's all around you. You'll notice when you turn on the radio, Joyce Myers is talking about um, hope. When you go to church, the pastor's talking about hope. When you open your Bible or your Bible app, the recommended Bible plan is on hope. And you go, okay, I get it. He's trying to say something. This is where, I'm, this is where he wants me to be right now. He wants me to focus on hope. Um, I miss anything? So there's a little bit of intuition, a little bit of like checking in with yourself. You kind of need to reflect on how you've been, where your feelings have been at, um, where your thought processes have been at. Have you been in a dark mental place? Have you been in a positive mental place? Have you noticed that when you're not especially um, thinking in a, in a direction that your your thoughts linger a certain way, do you start daydreaming about certain things like good things. Um, those could be indications that the Lord is trying to, to nudge you towards something or, or reveal something in your heart. You can also consider your dreams. You can look at the things that you've been dreaming about for the past couple weeks or months. Um, if you are a regular dreamer, I encourage you to write down your dreams, to reflect back on it, because the coolest things happen like they come true, and then you have like written proof that what Jesus gave you in a dream happens. Um, you want to listen to the people around you, like your wise counsel, like solid believers. Check in with them mm -hmm. um, and what have them pray for you and see if they're sensing or discerning anything going on with you or around you that the Lord would want to do. Those are some good ways to kind of begin to recognize the season you're in. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, very simply, you could look over Ecclesiastes 3. Um, I think it's 3 through 11. Um, and King Solomon kind of outlines several different seasons in the Lord. Uh, and you can look through those. Another great place to look would be Isaiah 61. Um, it's kind of in the middle. I don't know exactly the first reference, maybe 14 through 16. 
where it talks about mourning and dancing and beauty and suffering. And you can kind of just lay those, all those different verses before the Lord and say, can you just highlight a season of, of where I'm at in this? Am I, am I dancing? Am I mourning? Is it, a, is it a time to build up? Is it a time to tear down? Um, you can look over Isaiah 61 and, and the things that Jesus was called to be said, you know, the, uh, the spirit of the, the sovereign Lord has anointed me to preach to the gospel to the poor and to, to bind up the brokenhearted. And, and he goes through kind of that basically purpose and mission and vision statement of his own life. And that, that marks the seasons of his life. Um, kind of on a cool side note, the part that he reads in the gospel is the season he's in on earth. And he stops just before the, the day of judgment that, he, that is prophesied in Isaiah 61. Because when he comes back, that's the season he'll be in. He'll come to prophesy judgment. And so when he, when he spoke that out, he was speaking out, this is the season I'm in. So you can look over that and, and ask God, okay, what part of this, if it applies to me or resonates with me? Does that make sense? Does that give you a little bit of help in discerning some of that? Yeah, Andrew. It can be. Um, for example, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a feeler, and so I will sometimes feel like I'm going crazy. And I'm like, am I the only one who feels this way? For example, in this season, I, like Angel, I felt so unmotivated. And I thought, shame on you, you unmotivated sinner. And I was like, man, I'm so bummed. Jesus, like, help me. Just help me get motivated. And then when I talked to Angel, she's like, I am so unmotivated too. And I was like, man, let's talk about this. Where did it come from and why is it happening? And just the more we, we wrestled with it, we realized it wasn't at all circumstantial. It wasn't like something happened to us. It just felt like a spiritual wet blanket dropped over us. And we were like, I just feel funky. I feel yucky. And I don't know why. And so the, talking with someone else helped me understand it wasn't just me, that I wasn't crazy. I wasn't, you know, I, I was eating too much sugar, and I think sugar can put you in a funk. But, <laughs> but it helped me understand that I'm not alone here. That this may be something spiritual. This may be a season that more than myself is going through. Um, but you, you can consider regular events going on around you. Like, um, I don't know. I, I went... <laughs> I've had different seasons where numerous of the same thing would happen back to back, and I'd go, wait a minute, that's not normal. Something might be going on. God might be trying to say something. Um, or for example, I think between my mom and I, we had like three accidents in, like physically, like I got hit in the head with a volleyball, and she dropped a board on her foot, and like, like, like three things in like a 12-hour period where we were like, holy cow, what just happened? Okay, we're just going to pray for our protection, because we haven't prayed for our protection in a while, so maybe the enemy thinks this is a vulnerable spot. Uh, so things like that, you can, be, you can look at to try to discern what's going on in your natural stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. It may be an indicator of spiritual warfare as well. So it, it takes a little bit of wisdom and discernment, and so you can ping it with other wise counsel. Like, talk with your people and check in with them. And I'll say to Angel, I don't, I don't want to get spiritually weird or hooey, so just tell me if you think I'm crazy. If I'm, if I'm over-spiritualizing something, rein me in, because I want to be biblical. I don't want to, like, go, ooh, there's a devil. No. Pfft, no. We, <laughs> we don't want to live in fear of him anyway. So you just check in with your wise people. And, and help base it on the Bible. So, okay, does that help? Does 
that a little hooey for you? Are you okay? Okay. Well, we're going to pray real quick. So I want you to um, just sit in the presence of the Lord. I just want you to focus on Jesus. I want you to talk to him. Um, I'm going to pray over us, and we're just going to take a couple minutes. We're going to linger here. Um, We're just going to be with Jesus for a minute. So, Lord, I just want to thank you that we have this privilege of being able to lock eyes with you. God, that we have this privilege of being in your home, that we are a guest in your home, and that you welcomed us in so warmly. And Jesus, um, many of us are carrying things today. We're we're carrying heaviness. We're carrying um, frustration. We're, We're carrying despair. We're carrying weariness. God, we're carrying um, things that, that you want to hold for us. And so, Jesus, right now, we just want to put our, our worries, our concerns, our families, our friends, our jobs, um, we want to put them all in your hands right now, Jesus. And, and we choose to trust you with, this, with these things, with these people, with these concerns. Lord, you are worthy um, to hold these things. You are good and you are loving, and you are full of integrity in the way that you handle things. And so we know that you can, you can handle our grief, you can handle our pain, you can handle anything that we put in, in your hands. And so we just want to release it to you right now, Jesus. Um, and Lord, we, we thank you that when you speak, you speak to your bride as a body, and you also speak to us individually, personally, one-on-one. And so, Father, we thank you that that you've been revealing this word, that you've been speaking to us globally as a bride, that you have your beautiful bride in a season of metamorphosis, that you have her in a cocoon, that that the bride of Christ is waiting for a purpose and not in vain. God, but you are perfecting us and pruning us. God, and I I pray that you help us to be in that cocoon and, and to wait well that we would yield ourselves to your pruning hand, that we would yield ourselves to the work that you want to do in us, that we would yield ourselves to whatever process or season you have us in. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to reveal to us the season that we're in. God, maybe you just have us in a season of waiting. Maybe the global word is our personal word. God, where we are in between point A and point B, God, will you just show us if if we're in a season of waiting? God, or if you have us in a season of rest. If you have us in a season of just developing a deeper love with you. God, if you're training us, or if you've called us um, into a season of sowing seeds, or a season of harvesting. God, if it's a season of, of fostering faith, and contending, growing discipline. Lord, will you just let, let something resonate in our hearts tonight that you would show us exactly what the season is that you have for us. Lord, we, we want to be fully obedient, sold-out lovers of you. We don't want to waste time. We don't want to waste precious resources. God, we want to know what you are doing That way we can walk in step with you and obey you and not quench your Holy Spirit in the work you want to do. So, Lord, we just ask you to show that to us. God, we ask for pictures and visions and words. 
We pray for songs and melodies. God, we pray that you would quicken to our spirit scripture and phrases in your word. Lord, will you show us? Yeah, Lord, just show us where you're growing in us and where you want us to focus. God, that way we can be in step with you. We just want to walk with you. We want to make your heart happy, God. We want to glorify you with our actions. We want you to be lifted high, Jesus. God, that all that we do would be on to you and for your glory. Lord, help us. Help us understand. Reveal to us your plans. Show us how to obey. Jesus, we love you. We love you. God, and where our hearts are weak and our affection is dim, will you pour gasoline over it? Will you fan the flame? Will you ignite in us a fresh fire and a renewed love for you, Jesus? Jesus, will you meet us here and in the coming weeks? And will you lead us deeper into your heart? God, will you help us to be revival carriers? Help us to transform the world around us. God, it's a beautiful idea that the whole society could be changed and different. God, but we can't do it without you. We absolutely can't do it in our own strength. So we declare our dependence on you, Jesus. We need you. So lead us, help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you guys so much for coming. I'm really glad you all came. I had a great time. I hope you did too. And we'd love to have you back next week or any week. We'll definitely be here all of August. And um, you can watch out on Facebook and on the, the church's app and page for any changes to our itinerary. We'll make sure you get the info. So have a good night and be blessed.